Today's the day. I was originally planning to release the series premiere of my superfan history on Sunday, September 9th, but here at Flat Squirrel Productions, we know that hesitation kills, so I decided to release the episode today. That's right, the first episode of my new Superman-themed podcast series, My Superfan History, is available right now exclusively at the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. Visit patreon.com slash mycomicshophistory for instant access. Subsequent episodes of My Superfan History will follow on the first Wednesday of the month. A little bit later in this show, I will give you a special sneak preview of the premiere episode of My Superfan History, which examines the death of Superman in comics and animation. Speaking of the Patreon, a special shout out to our newest VIP patron, Dan Pritchard. Normally, I thank Dan at the conclusion of each season of My Comic Shop History. Dan is responsible for the music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, and he just came up with a terrific theme for the new Superman show as well. I remain incredibly grateful to Dan for all of his support. So thank you, Dan, as well as everyone who has joined the Patreon. And now, a quick word about our episode sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by a family of film festivals. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City in March, the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island in April, and the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park in May. Find them all on Film Freeway, Without a Box, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're looking to submit a film, use the Film Freeway discount code SJRBRIGHT2019 for Brightside Tavern and SJRHOTYS2019 for Hang On To Your Shorts. In the meantime, visit iTunes or a shareduniverse.com to tune into the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. On a personal note, my second documentary, By Spoon, The Jay Mizell Story, played at both the Brightside Tavern Film Festival and Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival. Both were great experiences. They're very well-run fests. So whether you're a filmmaker looking to get your work out there or you're a viewer looking to take in some cool independent film, I really hope you'll check out these film festivals. Welcome to Beyond My Comic Shop. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. It is the conclusion of our four-part Buying Books with Ben miniseries. Please welcome back to the show once again, Zap Comics co-owner Ben Lichtenstein. Glad to be here. Here we are, our final episode. This is a, I both a happy day and a sad day. Not final episode ever. It's so funny, we've already spoken for hours, and I feel we could talk hours and hours more about, about your collection buying experiences, but I hope... You know, over the course of these four episodes, you know, we've, we've hit on some of the major areas and given people a sense of what it is that you do. Uh, so hopefully people have been enjoying that. I've really been having a great time speaking to you about your experiences Excellent. Uh, dealing with these collections because it's, it's just incredible to me. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it because I, I just, I never get tired of it. So, so I'm glad, I, and I hope the other people listening enjoy it because uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. You mentioned in the last episode sort of, you know, bidding against uh, other buyers in, you know, as you go about your business. One thing I was curious about, kind of the, my, my who watches the Watchmen question, right? Like, like the Teen Titans look up to the Justice League, but the Justice League, they look up to the Justice Society. So for right. you, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You've built up your reputation. I'm sure there are a lot of dealers who look to you as an example to follow. Who are the people you look to? Good question. Um, well, one of the guys that now now this is going back to the 1980s but probably the sharpest guy in back issue buying and just both had a lot of foresight and aggressive and sharp was um 
Jay Maybrook of Sparkle City Comics. I never really knew him. I was like 13 years old, but he was in the 80s. He was absolutely the sharpest guy out there as far as being aggressively buying collections, knowing how to handle people. He had a lot of little tricks of the trade, and he was he would hustle like he would just hop in a car and just go around the country. And he was just really shrewd and had really good intuition. Um, there's a lot of guys right now that are just run it like a real pro. Like for example, and and they, these are guys that are not running stores but are just high end dealers like uh, Greg Reese and uh, Bob Storms and High Grade Comics, uh, Dale Roberts. There's a guy, Rich Evans at Bedrock. There's a lot of guys that I I view as just are uh, really sharp and, and and professional. I would say growing up, as far as a comic shop owner, there was a lot of shops I enjoyed going to. I wouldn't say they were ones that I used as a model, but I, I would learn a little bit from each one. I wouldn't say there was any one store that I thought was really doing it right. There was a lot of stores. They would do some things right, some I didn't agree with. But as far as dealers go, like in the 80s, you know, we mentioned Pat Milligan at Pegasus. He was a sharp dealer. There was a lot of dealers um, that I, I honestly learned what not to do from. You know, I didn't like how they handled people and I didn't like how they priced things. Um, but I would say at this point in time, and I'm sure I'm forgetting, I'm sure there's other ones that have given enough time, I'll think of it. But the guys that are real sharp now, you know, like I said, Greg Reese, The Worms, Dale Roberts, um, there's, uh, I, I know there's more. And, and there's also, you know what's pretty interesting now? There's a lot of dealers who kind of fly under the radar that are pretty big-time dealers, and, and they prefer to keep it that way. You, they don't run big ads in Overstreet, really. They just kind of, like there's this friend of mine, um, uh, Peter. He only sells on eBay. He does auctions. He has a huge following on, on eBay. He doesn't have a store. Most people don't know him, but he does a very big business in back issues. Um, and also some vintage trading cards. And um, there's a lot of guys like that out, out there that kind of fly under the radar, which is pretty, and, and they're usually really shrewd. In fact, most of those guys are actually, in my experience, they're smarter than a lot of the guys who really have a big, like, visible public face. That's interesting. I mean, I wonder how something like that works, because we've talked about, you know, the reputation that you've built up, so people know to come to you with their stuff. You know, people know to call you if there's a collection that you might be interested in. People know mm-hmm. that it's okay to take your checks because, you know, they know about you. So if, sure. you, if you are under the radar like that, how, how would you still be able to achieve those things? That's exactly, that's an interesting point. I think what they're good at is they build up a network in our little, I guess, business or our um, network of dealers. They are well-known, like... I, um, but they're not out there on Overstreet. They don't run Google ads usually. So they're very well known in our business. I think the other thing that they're pretty shrewd about, um, they have little ways of getting things. For example, um, I'll just give an example. They'll be very, very, very con- connected with estate lawyers, for example. So they'll be the person, and I've you know tried that to varying degrees of success. So they'll, they'll be the person that an estate lawyer is going to call when they have something to appraise and or sell. That makes a lot of sense. It makes t- tons of sense. And that's something I've been trying to, and it's not as easy as it sounds, but that's something I've been trying to pursue a lot. A little morbid, but I mean, again, it makes it makes sense. And and again, I know the way you deal with people, you're, you're treating them fairly, you're giving mm-hmm. them fair prices. So it's not, you know, as if you're preying on them in their time of mourning. I mean, you could truly be doing them a service. 
you know what it is? It, it's a fact of life. And, you know, when someone has a collection and they pass away, now they have a family who doesn't want the collection. So um, it needs to be sold. You know, I mean, why, why throw it away? So it, it is morbid. And as long as you're not a total vulture about it, like I, I don't have it completely in my, it's not in my personality to be real vulture. I could probably get a lot more comics if I was w- willing to bend some rules. Just like, I'm not that aggressive and like pushy about it. Whereas um, some of these guys are real pushy and aggressive. I'm just not that pushy. It's just not, not in my nature. So I probably miss out sometimes on things. But I have to be be able to sleep with myself. Well, is that right? Sleep with myself. Uh, sleep at night. Um, live with yourself. Live, live with myself. So there, there's just certain things that 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 I, I won't feel comfortable doing. But anyway, um, as far as the others look up to, I mean, that there's. I'm sure there's more I'm not thinking of right now. And but uh, I really learned there's some guys that you. I can talk to someone for about ten or fifteen minutes when I meet someone who's either trying to get into selling comics or does it. And I'll, I'll know in 10 to 15 minutes if they're good or if they're real shrewd or if they're just, or if it's going to be kind of a real struggle or kind of hopeless. What are, what are the, uh, what are the tells? Um, you know what? You'll just talk to someone like they'll mention how they feel about, um, what they want to buy. Like if they, I here, here's one, one example if they're going to be buying stuff because they really like it and say, you know, I feel strongly about, you know, I want to deal on this, but you know that there's like no demand for that. And it's more just because they like it, but it's not what, what their customers want. And when you, a lot of times I notice that guys want to run a business, but it's a little hard to explain. It's just, uh, they're not using the right terms or not using the right approach when they're buying things. Like they're talking about buying comics. Like, like they'll say, yeah, well, you know, you have to pay half, half the price on everything. You know, you have to cover your overhead, but no, that, but no, it's not on everything. On some things you have to, those really hard to get stuff. You'll pay 80% and the real junk you'd buy for like 5% or 10%. Um, it, it's hard to, to pinpoint an exact, it's just something when you're, when you're talking to them, you can tell they, they're not th- thinking about it the right way and it, it's not going to work. And I, I, I run into that a lot and the guys that really want to, he, here's a pretty, pretty good, good example, good, you know, little situation I think about. There's some dealers who really want to score. They want to pay, they want to have that story. I paid $2,000 for this and it's worth 50,000 and they get off on it. I've talked to this before. I've talked about this uh, before. Now those guys are going to make, in my opinion, just really low ball offers every time. And sometimes they're going to get it. The, the person's ignorant or desperate or just doesn't care. And they're going to make 10 times their money or 15 times their money. But they're going to lose a lot of clay. They're, they're going to get a bad reputation, and they're not going to get a flow of deals. So they're going to buy, say, two out of every 10 deals that's offered to them. But on those two, they're going to score. I'm going to get about 9 out of 10 of what's offered to me. Occasionally, it's rare. Just once in a while, I just can't. I, it's not going to be profitable for me or even break even. Some of these people are just, they're just not realistic. That I, I'm going to get nine out of ten deals offered to me. I, I'd say nine out of ten is probably accurate. 
So, but I'm not going to make that 10 or, or 15 times. Now, occasionally things work out later. Like, you know, if I get, um, I buy a collection, I put it away and let it age like a fine wine. And then I do get 10 times my money. So some guys have a mentality. They just want to get an absolute home run. And the other guys are uh, actually overpaying. They're treating it almost like their collection and they're working on almost no margin where you know they're not going to make money. So that's just you know a little side note. Um, those are two. Those are two interesting extremes. I could see both of those being you know problematic. Yeah. On this, you know, the note of the estate sales and and in, just in terms of the people who are selling these collections, what sort of mix is it uh, between people who are collectors who are getting rid of collections that they've cultivated over years versus? Uh, you know, family members who have either inherited it or, you know, a uh, scornful spouse or child or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, the vast majority is just a guy has a collection. He's moving on with life. He's downsizing. I, I had a period of time, I think in 2014, I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but I had this wave of, of guys in their like late 50s that had been downsized or were leaving, you know, their kids, they were empty nesters. They're leaving New Jersey's taxes to go to, you know, North Carolina. And I got a lot of deals. It was an interesting little trend, and I really noticed it. And they were always, you know, men, you know, age 55 to 60. They were downsizing empty nesters, and they were selling. That's most of the collections I buy. They're not all that age, but that's most of the collections. The collections where it's, um, you know, a family member passed away or a divorce are actually not that common. Maybe I, it's a handful. You know, I, um, one of my, well, I, I, I guess I'll jump around again. One of the collections, which also really took off for me, which what was a pivot, um, in around 2012, I got a call from this man who actually lived right in Wayne. Now I, I hope I get this right. I think it was his son passed away. Maybe it's about 60. They, they called another store and the store says, I'll, I'll give you 10 cents a book. And they called me and they explained what years they're from. And they're mostly 70s. I'm like, well, I'll definitely pay you more than that. I mean, you may have some good stuff. And um, that was a great collection. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get it because they called someone else, but that guy failed to call back, which was fortuitous. That was another collection where it was a really deep, um, there was a lot of multiples. It was like early Bronze Age, you know, 1970 to 76, some Silver Age. And then I went, some of it was in a storage unit. Then I went to their house up in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, that was a great deal. And I, it worked out. That, that was also one of those early ones. Um, but that was an estate. You know, obviously the man passed away. Sure. And they, they, they had to empty out his house. And, you know, you have to be very, um, you know, you have to treat, I, and I, I would anyway, but you have to treat people with kindness and, you know. Of course. Um, you know, you know, they're going through something. But. There isn't, I don't have that in me to be like a real vulture. Like I know there's some, some people when, when they're shopping for a house, they check the, the, the obituaries and, um, I, I just don't, I don't have that in me. It's gross. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. In terms of, you know, going through someone's collection, I mean, in many ways it's, it's a record of them, their life, certainly their life as a collector, as a fan. Oh yeah. Is that ever something that you think about? Like oh, a the, lot. how you can get to know someone through looking what they, through looking at what they've acquired over the years? Yeah. In fact, there was a collection I bought, uh, two years ago. It was in, uh, Jamaica, Queens, um, that the man passed away. I think he was fairly young, uh, maybe in his late forties. 
and the landlord um, was, you know, had to sell. It was in, it was not a hoarder, but almost a hoarder situation. And you could see exactly what he liked, and he um, he had his comics all still in the bags. You know, each week, you know, you pick up your your pull box. And you could see where his taste was. He was more into female characters, but it was interesting. That was one I, I actually that, that was a pretty sad one because he had all of his um, personal stuff all around the apartment. It, that was actually that, that that one bothered me because uh, you saw it was just like he had left. I guess he went to the hospital and never came back. That one bothered me. That is that is sad. Yeah. Um, kind of on that, but on hopefully on a more positive note, anything else that has stood out to you as you've gone through someone's collection, whether it's, I was, like, the example that I came up with, did, have you found any character-specific collections? Like, this person has every single appearance of X character, like, across all the titles that they appeared in or something like that. Um, it definitely happens where someone's obsessed with um, you know, Wonder Woman or a Swamp Thing or something. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a specific. I can't think of a, a really a good example now, but it definitely happens. And I, at 100, percent there is like you know, focus collections where they're obsessed, where they have everything with, even things that aren't comic books. You know, they collect like mugs and everything. I've I've had that. I, I can't think of a good example right now. Gotcha. And then as far as the travel piece, you know, we've, we've touched on this, but I know you said you, you enjoy traveling. Oh, yeah. Which is good because, you know, you do a lot of it. I mean, how, I mean, again, I know there's a lot that you do locally, but you are on the road. Uh, I mean, what's the farthest you've gone for a collection? The farthest I drove, uh, probably Detroit or Chicago. I bought collections in both those areas. I'm trying to think if I went really far south. I've, the farthest south I've gone is maybe... North Carolina, you know, I haven't gone. I'm usually, once it gets beyond that like nine, 10 hour area, I'm usually going to start to lose interest because unless it's an absolutely massive collection um, and it's going to be worth all like flying and renting a van, driving it back, I start to lose interest unless I'm absolutely sure it's good. I could probably get more collections if I was willing to like really just like fly into Denver and just look at a collection and a lot of those I'm just a little bit afraid of. It's like wasting, you know, days of my life and not working out. Yeah. But I, I, I've driven almost, uh, I've driven, you know, to Maine, you know, and down North Carolina and out, out west, you know, uh, Detroit. I, I bought a decent collection in Detroit last year. It, it wasn't that profitable. But um, that, Well, probably less so factoring in the, yeah. the time and the gas and all that. Are you rent a van or do you have your own? I rent a van. I, I keep toying with buying my own van, but I, 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 you know, insurance is so expensive in New Jersey and the maintenance. So I, I was actually going to buy one last year. I said, you know, I'm just going to buy one of these new Ford Transits. They're really nice. They're great on gas. And then I'm like, you know what? It's nice just to hand it back to the rental place and let, let them deal with it. And if I break down the roadside assistance, I just don't want to be bothered. So I'm renting vans a lot and I know I should probably buy one, but I'm just kind of paranoid about having a problem. Sure. Uh, you know, my wife, she loves to travel. And whenever we go anywhere, you know, she's a big fan of trying the local cuisine. And that's rubbed off on me now. I feel like I'm a little bit more adventurous in things that I'm willing to try. Cool. Uh, where do you kind of land on that? Do you enjoy, uh, you know, you know, finding stuff like that on the road? Yeah, I really, when I can, sometimes I, I just, I'm on a, a schedule and I just got to eat on the highway in 40. But I really like it if I'm... What I usually try to do, if I buy a collection pretty far away, let's say I go to like Erie, Pennsylvania, 
if I think the guy might have okay taste in food, I'll say, hey, where is there anywhere local that you recommend, like a, a good, you know, local like barbecue or something like that, or anything that's that's good? So I try and eat some decent local place that's actually good. Unfortunately, I'm kind of um, a lot of times when I'm on these trips, I just want to hit the road and just like you know, f- you know, zoom down the highway. But uh, I've I've had plenty of experiences where, um, especially when I bring someone w- with me on a buying trip, I I got to treat them right for their for their lunch and dinners and I like to stop like a barbecue and have a couple beers and just like have a little um I'll basically try anything actually if I'm in Maine I'm gonna eat whatever you know when you're gonna have lobster in Maine right and if I'm if I'm out in 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 Detroit like like for instance in Detroit I asked I bought the collection I was was with my buddy I said I want to eat somewhere good where where we need so he recommended this great Greek place there's a Greek area Detroit Greek town in Detroit and we, we had a great Greek lunch and it was it was awesome so yeah I, I try to. Is there anything that you, you can't really get here in Jersey that you'll, you'll be specifically excited for or specifically seek out when you're, when you have the opportunity to? You know, it's, um, I think I'm a bit of a snob about New Jersey because the food, everyone will bash New Jersey, you know, but, but the food, you, you get top notch food here in Jersey. You do. And, you know, going back to my wife, she's from Jersey. Uh, she's not with me today, but normally she loves when we do these, uh, Jersey store visits because it's an opportunity to get a proper hoagie. Yeah. Jersey hoagies. Well, you know what? The best subs are, are in South Jersey. And, and, and that's where she's from. Oh, so she knows. Yeah. And in, in fact, whenever I, I have family in South Jersey and that's no matter what happens, I, I get a, and you know, hoagie sub, you know, is all, but that, I that's been a discussion it. between us. Uh, cause I never called it a hoagie, but I, that's... I didn't either, but, uh, <laughs> I, I will, I will completely, uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, South Jersey subs, you know, and, and again, hoagie, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm like pretty spoiled. I, I think the food, and again, it's you know it's what I'm used to. But I think I think the food's the best in New Jersey. I'm, I, I mean, in Chicago, I, I the best steak I ever had in Chicago last year. We went out for, we always have one big steak dinner in Chicago when we do the C two E two show. Nice. So we we had, I that was the best steak I ever had. Where it was called uh, Chicago. I don't know if it's a real tourist trap. Not really. It's been around forever. I think Chicago Chop House. Okay. I think it's called. Um, very good. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think about that, too. I mean, living in New York, we have access to so much. The only thing, I was thinking about this recently, like, the only thing that, I mean, you can get it, but it's maybe not as good or as authentic if you went to the actual place, is barbecue. I mean, obviously, there are places, but that's something that, you know. I agree. I agree, because, you know, there is a bunch have opened up in New York and Brooklyn, and there's a good one in Hoboken now, but. um, Not quite the same. No. No, I, I agree with that. But almost anything else, <laughs> good to go. Yeah, yes, I agree. Uh, but so anything else, uh, any other road trip stories, anything that you encountered in your travels that you wanted to share? Well, I usually, uh, if it's a large deal, I mentioned that I bring that, that friend of mine who's not a comic book guy, he's just you know one of my childhood friends, and we, we usually make a whole... A whole road trip out of it, you know. We stop in these little towns, like when we drove out to uh, Detroit. We stopped in—I don't remember where it was. I think it was like Northwest Pennsylvania, and we ate at some. It was actually pretty decent. We ate at some restaurant there, and it's just a little town with like literally just one main street. You know, like those one street town. You know, sure. these, these towns that are—I I guess they're disappearing now. 
Um, as far as anything really weird, nothing too really weird. Um, I, I will say it's just a lot of fun just to get on the road. You're kind of thinking about the deal. You go there. It's, I've almost never had, had a problem where I knocked on the door and it was like a real negative experience. Like almost every time it's turned out where the person was friendly, they were just, people in general are pretty friendly. You know, once in a while you run into a, a visit where the house is like kind of gross, like a hoarder situation where it's really dirty and you get, um, oh yeah, well, this is not a travel story, but another collection, see, see, <laughs> I'm, I'm jogging my memory now. One of the collections that really pivoted, you know, the, the ramp up and back issue sales, there was a longtime uh, customer of mine and he had a, he was selling the house, getting divorced. And um, this is before the market ramped up, but I bought his whole collection. That was kind of a problem because it was really dirty. It was, uh, but he had great stuff. I mean, and, and that's another collection I'm still feeding off now. And it's been like, I think it's been 10 years and he had all these magazines and I kind of never, you know, touched the magazines. And now I'm, we have this whole section in the warehouse, just boxes and boxes of magazines and good stuff like Warren's, you know, and we're horror mags. And, um, but that one, I actually hosed off in his driveway. Like I, I was felt very, <laughs> yeah, I've, I was really felt very skeeved out. I, I don't want to get back in the car like. And I, he, he happened to have a hose. I, and I said, would you mind if I use your hose? I, I literally hosed myself down because it was, it was that bad. Yeah. That was, there was a weird smell. You know, when there's a smell, just like a, uh, basement plus dead mouse plus cat urine plus who knows what, you know, just bad. But, um, as far as travel, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I, I enjoy it. Like, you know, my, my wife doesn't enjoy long car rides. She goes, how do you do it? Oh, and I like it. I hop in the car and you, it, 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 I, I view it as an adventure. Yeah. You know, I want to mention a couple other. Yeah, please. Good collections. There was a collection two years ago. Now, let me preface by saying we get calls all the time where people tell us their comics are in mint condition. They're not. And they never are. But I get a phone call from a man in, in New Jersey, and he says he has, he's going to be moving, and his comics are in mint condition. And he wants, I think he wanted $95,000, and he sends over the list. Now, he had plenty of 1970s comics and some 60s ones, but he had plenty of modern ones. And I'm like, well, you know, a lot of these modern comics we can't pay much for. They're very common. He goes, well, yeah, but they're all in mint condition. And he's telling me this, and I'm like, well, and I'm trying to explain to him. And I, I almost blew it off because I'm like, well, this guy wants 95000 I think I'm, I'm going to pay him. I'm going to offer him 35000 based on this list. But I said, finally, I'm going to go look at it. Why not, right? He's right in New Jersey. I drive to look at it, and he he was right. They were not mint, but near mint. Beautiful, like the nicest grade Bronze Age comics I'd ever seen. I'm like, wow. And he told me, yeah, I told you when I would buy my comics as a kid, I would look at every one, the whole stack, and I would only pick the the perfectly centered ones. So I'm like, wow, these are really nice. And and he had some stuff in there that turned out to be 9.8, like um, Amazing Spider-Man 129, 9.8, Batman 251 with the Joker cover and Neil Adams. Incredible stuff. Um, and I'm like, wow, this stuff is nice. And if I buy this, I'm going to have to get a lot of it graded, CDC graded. 
And um, that was one of my favorite collections of all time because that was like probably the only time where someone said they were in mint condition and they turned out to be. And it turned out to be a wonderful collection. I mean, it was, we finally haggled. I think I paid 85 grand or so. And there was this other guy who was like, who who had offered him 80 and it was furious at him and it was yelling at him, but 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 he stuck to our deal. Like the other guy says, whatever he he said about me, whatever he offers, I'll beat it by $1,000. But the guy stuck to his deal. And um, they, they, the point of the story is people call me every single day. They tell me they have comics from the 1960s and 70s and they, they're not, it's very, it's weird how I can't explain why they do this, but they are always like 65 cents or 75 cents. But they tell me they're from the 60s and 70s every time. That's great. I mean, we used to run into that all the time at alternate realities. People would call or come in and say, oh, I have really old comics. And then we would eventually see them or we'd get a list from them or something. And again, it was all stuff from 80s, 90s, 2000s. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked. In that case, I'm glad that that paid off. And it's interesting, too. I mean, not even near mint, but mint. <laughs> they were beautiful. And in fact, I, I still have a lot of them because I, I'm really, I, I paid very aggressively in these. I mean, I paid up for it. And so... I still have quite a few from that collection that are in a separate inventory. I, they're so nice, and you know we actually have them noted. Um, something that I used to have as a connection, which is really important to have, like some kind of edge. Meaning, you know, I know I've talked in the past. When you have a comic store, if you just carry all the new stuff from Diamond Comics, you you, you don't have any edge, right? When I was a kid, well, a kid like sixteen or so, I ran into a guy who worked for I don't know who worked for some either his relative worked for the, the newsstand and, and you know the newsstand back in the day they would they they would return them for credit and they're supposed to be shredded but of course they'd all just you know go out the back door and and I didn't feel bad about it because they're not technically stolen they, they were supposed to go in a dumpster so to me I'm saving them from the dumpster no one's getting hurt here so but I had that source for, for years um, then that one went away and then I found a new one and and this is something which I've been pretty lucky about, which has also helped this whole back issue thing. One thing I've been pretty lucky with is finding these sources, because um, I had this other newsstand source. He worked for one of the big newsstands, I think Hudson News. Same thing. They were the comics that are supposed to get shredded. And he fed me them like every week. I would just fill my car up every week. And little things like that uh, are really important to giving you that, that edge with back issues. Because if you're... Like I said, if you're just going to sell like the, the stuff that's left over at the end of the month, forget it. That's boring. And if you're only going to be able to go after a few like individual issues, you're not going to get enough. You got to you got to find these sources with a lot of stuff. Buying books with Ben will be right back. But first, I am pleased to present a free preview of the series premiere of my super fan history. Here is a piece of my chat with alternate realities refugee Mike San Gregorio about the death of Superman. I remember, I think I was in my parents' room on the recliner, like by the window, and sitting with my dad and him reading it to me and doing all the voices, you know, this is the day that a Superman died, like, you know, all that stuff. And it just, it really just resonated with me. It made that connection. And, you know, I was thinking about what effect does it have? Because again, I'm, I've always talked about, oh, death of Superman got me into comics, death of Superman, death of, but what does it mean when your introduction to a character is that character's <laughs> death? Like, what impact does that have? So I was really thinking about it in advance of today. And I don't know. One of the things I came up with is a very common criticism, as you know, of Superman is that he's too powerful. It's too hard to write stories from him. He's not interesting because he's too powerful. He's invulnerable. 
Well, when the first story that you read features is him dying, it's like, well, no, he's not too powerful. He clearly has his limits. So I think that's that's one thing. But beyond that, I think what always stuck with me the most about this story wasn't the fact that he died, but it was the fact that he was able to go the distance when no one else could. And maybe that's the same reason why Rocky <laughs> resonated with me. Oh, well, even in Death of Superman, they talk about how like weary, you know, fighters who have gone the distance. Bibbo. Bibbo is yeah. a boxer and he's in continuity. Exactly. But that idea that Superman will be the last one standing when all the other heroes have fallen. He's the one who can, can go farther than the rest. I think that's probably what made an even bigger impression on me. And the fact that he was willing to make that sacrifice. I think that is what stuck with me, uh, even beyond the, the, the actual death. So I don't know. That's what I came up with. I think that's a very good point because upon reread, one of the thing, one of the things that jumped out at me the most was exactly what you're talking about, which is at no point does Superman back down. Does he stop? The, the seven most powerful superheroes on the planet at the time have been taken out with very little forethought. Everyone else is going down and he is right there and he is not going to let a single person get hurt if he can prevent it. And you are absolutely right. This thing is a Superman story and no point does he act out of character or anything like that. Like you can read this and you can get a full measure of exactly what the character is. And you're right. If you read this, you're never going to think of him as being all powerful because you're going to remember the time that he died to save his friends and to save the citizens of the city he loved. To hear the entire episode, head on over to the My Comic Shop History Patreon page and sign up. And now, the conclusion of Buying Books with Ben. I want to jump back to, um, again, just making the deals. You know, you mentioned that one buyer you were bidding against who, you know, was very upset. Do you ever find that sellers, like, you have a deal worked out and then they'll renege on you? Does that ever happen? You know, it's... um I've been very lucky with that. I've had that happen like a handful of times, literally maybe two times, two or three times. I've I've been, I'm always a bit like paranoid about like me making an offer and then leaving and then they change your mind. So I really try and like wrap it up, which is also why uh, I also try and do some homework in advance, like really get as much information as I can, talk to them about it. And I, what I do say to people a lot, that's a, that actually is pretty um, pretty telling actually, because what I will do very often is before I'll make a trip out, let's say someone's in Pennsylvania, before I make my trip out there, I say, listen, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste either one of our time. My time's valuable. So, uh, I, I asked them how much they're, they're looking for. Now, some people view that as like a trap. Well, you know, you're trying to trap them, but I do it to see if we're even remotely in the right ballpark because sometimes they're so ridiculous and they're just going to have me go out there and, you know, waste hours of my time. And there's no chance of us making a deal. So I always get, and and of course it's information, obviously. I'm trying to buy the stuff. I want information. But I always ask them what they're looking for. Occasionally they're like cagey about it. A lot of people just don't want to do that. They don't want to feel trapped. But um, I try to avoid that situation, right, where someone... You know, you make a deal and then he thinks about it and, and some other dealer comes in and says, I'll, I'll give you $1,000 more. It's happened. It's very rare. And it does get me very, very angry. Oh, I mean, understandably. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about the collection you bought, a million and a half comics. Which, mm-hmm. So that was the largest quantity of books. That, the largest quantity, yeah. 
Okay, <laughs> as far as rarest slash most expensive individual book. Yeah, I've had um, Action 1 and Superman 1. Oh. but unf- And Batman 1. I never had a Tech 27. Unfortunately... I sold those way too early. Like wow. I, I, well, it's funny because, you know, in the last episode we were talking about Golden Age and how that, that has proven elusive. So I, I wasn't aware that you had uh, you had your hands on those. Yeah, the uh, the action set I had, um, I think it was a full, I think it was missing just a couple issues. Um, when I bought it, though, the market, I think it was 1990, gosh, I don't know, 94. The market was terrible. I had no money. I mean, I was like busted and I think I sold, I got a bunch, oh no, you know what? It had to be later than that because they had just came up with CGC. They just, no, it has to be later than that. But the market wasn't good. I flipped the Action 1 and the Superman 1 too cheap. I flipped them to a Dior. And the guy also had a big collection of World's Finest. I don't think he had, I think three and up. And the Actions, I... I sold, I, I got the early ones graded, like number four, really rare. And I, th- this is an, 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 another one of my regrets because the market, I mean, I, I would have made like like literally eight or 10 times what I got for them. But I got them graded. And I remember I brought them to the first New York Comic Con Javits show. I don't know when that was. Yeah, so, so this is actually when the market was not that dead, actually. See, 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 my, <laughs> my brain is, oh no, that was it. I remember now. I got it in pieces. That's it. I didn't get the whole collection all at once. They were piecing it out. It was from like someone's grandfather. And people do this sometimes. They won't just sell me the whole thing at once. I'm like, just bring the whole thing in. We'll do it. It saves us all time. People, they have something in their head. They want to piece it out. So anyway, at the first New York Comic Con, I sold the uh, the CGC graded um, early actions. I got decent money for them, but not not anywhere close to what I should have. The, I, I sold the Batman one way too early. I don't know what I got for it. I, I, I regret that. I don't think about this much. It, it, trust me, it, when I'm going to bed at night, I'm going like, God, that Batman. I don't think about it that much. But now, now you know, when you bring it up, now I'm, I'm, I'm sad. <laughs> it's remarkable. I mean, you know, it's it's all part of, of of comic book history and history. But I mean, those books in particular are incredible. That's really something. Yeah, you know what else I had. Um, a great collection from someone else was a Wonder Woman collection. They, they didn't have number one, but they had Wonder Woman, I think, three and up. A lot of those are really scarce. I remember, this is, again, before the market really ramped up. I listed some on eBay. And um, you you can always tell when books are rare when you start getting phone calls just, like, immediately. Cause, because the people that know, that know the stuff, they are aggressive. And I remember I got this call from this woman who was a real Wonder Woman collector, and she, like, raced out from Long Island and bought some. But um, I've never seen some of those numbers again. I think number six was there. I think it's the first cheetah. There was a lot of great stuff in there. Um, so I've had, I, I haven't had every big, I, I, I never had a Cap one. You know, Cap, I've never had that. They, there's a lot I've never had. I, did, I lucked out with the Batman one, and I lucked out with, with that, that, those Superman books. Um, but, oh, I'll tell you something else pretty, uh, some, of, some of the best stuff I've gotten is when I go and look at a collection and there's other things there that I didn't expect and that weren't part of the collection. And they were kind of like just make a decision on the spot and they're almost like a throw-in. A guy called me up. He had a collection and he had Amazing Spider-Man 1 and then he had a bunch of modern stuff. I'm like, no problem. He has to move, move his self-storage unit. He has to clear out. He's behind on his rent. I pull up with a box truck because he got a lot of stuff. He says he has like 300 boxes. We make a deal in the comics. He goes, hey, do you also buy toys and statues? Which we, I'm like, oh, well... 
I, I guess there's room in the truck. I brought a big box truck, so I, I misjudged how many. You know what? Yeah, he didn't have 300. He had 150 long boxes, and then we got the, Anyway, so I go, yeah, I guess. So he has a whole other storage unit filled to the ceiling to the front. You, you know when you literally can't get a piece of paper in? Yeah. Okay, filled. Like uh, Steve Odo, maybe. No, maybe not. Anyway. Mm. So I go, yeah, you know, I guess I'll do something. He goes, how much you want? He goes, listen, I need to move out of here. Just, it's all toys and statues, just whatever. And I'm, you know, I just did some quick math. I go, listen, I really, I, I, I don't even know what's in there. I really don't want a lot of this stuff. He goes, just whatever you give me, I'll take it. So I gave him a thousand bucks, I think. And, um, you know, we load it all up. And then there was all these like feather boas. Did I, did I tell you about this? No. I don't, um, I don't. So we realized, I think he was like a, um, like, like a vaudeville or like a, um, not a vaudeville. What, 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 what a strip? What burlesque? I, burlesque. That's it. Okay. I think he was maybe like, like, like a cross dress or something. Cause we keep finding all this stuff. He was really into female figures. He, he collected Barbies. There's tons of Barbies, tons of female figures and, and like feather boas and assorted like gloves. I'm like, wow, this, this is an, an interesting group. But that one... The, the point of it is that one turned out to be a really great little bonus on the collection. And it was just on the spur of the moment. I gave him another thousand bucks and it just it worked out great. But that actually has happened a few times where there was other stuff I didn't even plan on getting. And they just like had to get rid of it. And I just had to make a quick decision on the spot and, you know, I had to play it safe. And those usually work, work out pretty well. What other specific deals or collections did you want to share with us? Well, one there was actually one in uh, I think it was 2015 or 2016, and again I'm I, I keep circling back to the golden age. Um, it was probably a year before the golden age market just erupted, so it was probably 2015. This um, this is this is an example where someone had passed away. Uh, they brought in their silver age books, and I, I paid them really strong on those. They had a Hulk one and other stuff. Gave them, you know, really competitive price. They had brought them to someone else who really turned them off. They were very happy about it. And then he said, you know, they say to me, we have one more box in the car. I don't think they're any good. You want to see them? I go, sure. And it was a phenomenal box. It was a full box. It was probably about 100 bucks, all golden age and some primo stuff, like rare stuff. I'm like, wow. I said, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to give you more money for this one box than you got for the... Silver Age stuff. And they're just like, what? They were totally surprised. And, you know, to be honest, this is one of those things we talked about where I, I could have easily gotten it for like, you know, $1,000. They didn't even think it was good. It, it wasn't on their radar. They were so fixated on like the Hulk 1 and I think Spider-Man 2 and stuff. But I explained to them, no, this is the good stuff. So they got a nice, I, I forget what that, that, that box was worth, worth about 40 or 50 grand. Uh, so that was exciting. However, now I'm saying that, but if I'd held it, if I just put that box away for two years, the box would have been worth a hundred grand. If you had squirreled it? If, if I had squirreled it, see that? No, very good. Unfortunately, I was in turnover mode. Um, so that's, and it, I'm sure there's a lot more. Like I said, I forgot. Something that I always did, even from when I first started the stores, I, w I was always buying out other stores. You know, you know, stores would fold up and, you know, quit or for any reason. I would always, I kind of put out my name out there that I would buy out stores. And that, that, that usually worked out very well because I was usually able to buy everything, flip enough of it quick to get back what I paid, and then I would gradually milk it out. And, and I'll give a funny example of this. There was one store in Pennsylvania, 
I bought it, I think, in 1999. I think it was called Comics A to Z. Well, I know that's what it was called, Comics A to Z. We went out there with two trucks. We filled up the trucks. And to this day, I still have comics in my warehouse that I'm still selling that say Comics A to Z on them. So the point is, I, I those kind of deals, usually, if you play it right, usually pay really good dividends because you're able to get back your money you paid for it, hopefully, you know, I'm aggressive about getting it back quickly. And then you just milk it out slowly, slowly. And that's how a lot a lot of these deals really, you know, pay really good dividends. No, that's smart. I mean, yeah, it's it's one thing, you know, thinking back to the, the old alternate realities way. I mean, it's one thing if you're just sitting on something maybe for no reason. But if you're, you know, if you anticipate a rise in value or you know that, you know, it would be additional revenue down the line kind of to fill in a gap or something like that. Right, yeah. If you, you usually, uh, like I said, it's like what we said before, it's a balancing act between you want to keep things turning over because you got to pay your bills and, and you want to get your money back. But then the, the other balancing act is where you can make really good money if you put away like squirrel. If you squirrel away the right things and you maximize them, I know a few other guys that are that I respect that are pretty shrewd and they do the same thing. You know, they buy these big collections and they, you know, we all have our own little term for it, but yeah, it works. Right. So sort of the last major topic that I, I wanted to get at with you is, it's kind of the market generally, but specifically how the collection buying intersects with the store, with Zap Comics. And one thing that I was curious about is just sort of the response from customers to your collection buying and the back issues that come through. Uh, like when you get a new collection, like are, are people excited? Are they lined up? Are they asking you about what's coming in? Like what's what's kind of the, the vibe and the response from customers? Usually what we do, if it's a larger collection, we'll, uh, Corey will post uh, some stuff on social media. All new wall books? Yeah, all new wall books. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I, fo- I follow. Thank you. Uh, so, so Corey will post things about all new wall books. And then also if I, we don't do it on every collection, but when I go and like fill up a box truck, we, we make sure to take a couple of pictures of like me sitting on the boxes. And if you're okay with that, cause I, I, again, I, I do my homework. I, I saw a lot of this stuff. I would love to use those as the uh, episode artwork for these episodes that we've done. I think that's, it's a perfect representation yeah, sure. of what we've been talking about. You know what? There was one which I I did on the spur of the moment, where I'm like kind of posing almost like like, like a centerfold model, which was I don't know if I'm if I'm okay with that one. <laughs> that one that one's a li- I find in in hindsight a little embarrassing. Well, it's fun but, though. I mean, it's but it's funny, right? And you got to think about it in the moment, right? Like you had just gotten this collection, like you were riding yeah. that high. So even if you look back and it's like, oh, maybe I wouldn't oppose that way. I don't know. In the moment, maybe it just kind of reflected what what you were what you were feeling. Well, we we uh, we did it because we were in a silly mood. You know, we were um, we had we opened it up, and my uh, employee uh, Nick, who's you know works for me part time now, but Nick's like, "Come on, Ben, you know, do do something funny," and that and, and that's what came to mind. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, ba- basically, we do. It's getting a little harder to to get people excited just because. I, I, I buy so much stuff, I hate to say it. So it's like... Um, People are spoiled? Maybe they're a little bit spoiled. And also there's so much out there now on social media. There's so much stimulus to this. Everything's, everyone's posting 24 hours 7. Um, so people are definitely are interested. When I buy a large collection, we get a, a lot of uh, inquiries. We also, you know, we also try to take care of the certain customers, like I said, real loyal regulars who we know are going to want that, say, Amazing Spider-Man 3 or... 
we're going to hold those back for those, you know, and, and reward those loyal customers. A customer like that who would be interested in early Amazing Spider-Man issues, is that generally someone who's one of your Wednesday regulars and is still buying new stuff? Or is it someone who's like really focused on those vintage books? Uh, it's both of them. Yeah. Both. Because some of these guys are only vintage, but they're great customers and they buy tons of stuff from us, not just early Spideys. And then some of them are both, you know, are buying their, their weeklies and they're, they're, they're also the back issues. I would say, I would say there's more of like the, uh, the blend, you know, the guys that, that do both. But um, it is getting harder to stand out because everyone's getting more and more savvy with social media, you know, and everyone's posting the hell out of things. So, you know, we always got to up our game. I mean, that's something, you know, since I started on on my quest to visit these comic book stores across the country for the podcast and, and now the documentary, you know, I've been following all of them and it's great prep for me. It allows me, especially when I've never been to a store before, it's a great way to just start to get a feel for what it's like and just get to see the space and everything. But that's, I, I really can identify with that because that's what I see a ton of, you know, really stores across the board. They're posting the new product that comes in. They're posting collections that they're buying. They're having customers pose with things that sure. they're walking out of the store with, uh, sure. certainly events and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I could see how it would be difficult sometimes to to stand out, among, you know, amid that that sea of stimulus. Yeah, exactly. Because I think when uh, Corey first started getting, and, and, and Corey handles all our social media. I'm not, and um, very well, very well. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he does a great job. But when Corey first started doing it heavily with, with Facebook, he was probably a little ahead of the curve. I think he was doing it a lot better and more than most stores. And then a lot of stores are, you know, I've caught up to it as well they should, you know. And so, you know, we're always trying to figure out the best way. And and I think, you know, we talked about ZapCon. We're doing our own Comic-Con. And that's something to kind of set us apart. Yeah. Um, well, of course, that happened months ago. And it was it was a fantastic <laughs> event. <laughs> It's okay. I think we can reveal to listeners that we're recording these episodes <laughs> in advance, and of course they're running over over the summer months. But uh, yeah, that. no, that's no, that's fantastic. Sticking with this this theme of the customers and their interest in the back issues, mm-hmm. I assume the answer is yes to this. But are people coming to you and saying, "Hey, can you keep an eye out for uh, this character, this run, this issue?" Yeah, what we do with that is where there's certain uh, buyers that, that have proven that they're reliable, that if they request something, they'll actually follow up and buy it. Then there's a lot of buyers who are basically going to ask for the same stuff everyone else wants. Hey, when, when you get a Hulk 181, make sure to call me. Well, yeah, you and a hundred other people. I mean, you know, it isn't like I just have, I can't just shake the Hulk 181 tree and just get your Hulk 181. So the, the, the buyers that are proven like really reliable good customers we will really give them first shot at things and really look for stuff up to a point then there's a lot of people that are all talk and no follow-up and then we just kind of say you know it's hard to get which is kind of the truth i mean uh, you know someone's someone that only asks for the very best like the cream of the crop and and they're not supporting us by buying other merchandise there's no no incentive for me to give it to them because i could sell it to anyone i'd rather sell to someone who supports us yeah you know so we do, uh, we really, I think at least we do a, a good job. And, you know, we're always improving. We do a good job of giving good customer service. Like like we got this one, uh, as an example, we have a customer who's been buying every every Walking Dead from us, all the back issues, and, uh, and buys other stuff from us. Great customer. Uh, she and her partner are loyal, regular customers. And we got in exactly one of this really allocated, uh, there's a new series, Oblivion by Kirkman. Yes. And they made this 
limited edition box set with a statue. We we got one. I I ordered fifty, and then we got one that really allocated. So, in in that case, we have to decide who gets it. And um, we had a few people ask for it, but but she had asked first, and she also, you know, is in our store every week supporting us, so she gets it. One other thing that I was, you know, I was curious about is: are there specific things? You know, again, as you're buying and selling these collections and, uh, you know, putting money away, are there specific things that you could that you could point to in the store and say, you know, my collection buying funded that? Hmm. That's hard to say because it all just kind of goes in one big, um, in one pot. You know, the money just goes into, into the business and, you know, uh, it, depending how flush we are, if we need new back issue bins, which we did, we would just keep piecing them together. It's, it, it's, it's like a Frankenstein over there, you know, you know, be, be, to, to get really good back issue bins or to get custom made good ones are a fortune. And I just don't want to pull the trigger. I'm being cheap. But, um, I will say that when things really, like I talked about, when things had that kind of inflection point in 2011, 2012, I was much more flush and I was able to fund a lot of things, fund more advertising, new bins for the trades, uh, we, we got a new sign and you know, there, there's always most people who run a small business. We have a whole list of like a wish list of stuff they want to invest in, you know, whether we need a new computer or a new sign a new this new showcases we got, we spent money, in new showcases over there. So basically there, there isn't just one collection where like, well, thank God we, we got right, that right. one. But I, I will say that the, the uptick in the back issue market and me getting really aggressive about it and Corey going on Facebook that has allowed us to fund a, a lot of improvements. A moment ago, we you know we were talking about other comic book stores there, and I believe in uh, either this episode or the previous one, they're all blending together now. Uh, you mentioned Metropolis Comics, mm-hmm. and so they're not a store in the traditional sense. They're based out of Manhattan, but it's it's a showroom. Exactly, they're they, they're a showroom. They run uh, an auction operation and a website, and they're just a. They always want to be a very high-end dealer. They're very aggressive. They're they're they've kind of built up a good brand for themselves. That that if you have a major book like an action one, you're gonna call them. You know you you might put it on Heritage Auction. You might put it on Comic Link, but um, they really build up this brand and they're very aggressive buyers. The one partner, Steve Fischler, who's um, he has probably. I, I don't know about the most knowledge, but, you know, incredibly knowledgeable about grading and comic books in general. The other partner, Vinny, is like the face of the company, and he's really aggressive about getting out there. He's at every show, and he's networking, and he's buying, and he's very shrewd, very knowledgeable. So they are they are really sharp operators, and, and they're, they have really strong, uh, as far as I know, they're very strong financially, big inventory of big books. Yeah, they will be featured in uh, the My Comic Shop Country documentary. Oh, cool. So I'm excited about that. I was I was just curious to get your take. And then also I was wondering, you know, kind of their model where, you know, that's really what they're focusing on and they have the showroom. Uh, I mean, it seems like you and obviously having Corey and the rest of your staff, it seems like you've struck a very nice balance between having the storefront, doing the, the quote unquote traditional comic shop thing, but also having this entire collection buying enterprise, mm-hmm. do you like and do you foresee continuing to have both? Or would that Metropolis model be something that you would be interested in where it's like you're really, really just zeroing in on the on the collections and the vintage books? That's something I've thought about a lot. In, in, in the back of my mind, I view the, uh, uh, 
you know, I mentioned earlier Greg Reese and a high grade comics, Bob Storms and Dale Roberts. I view their model with uh, a lot of respect because they, they do not have a retail storefront. They don't want a retail storefront. They've really invested in their websites and they do a lot of conventions. They're on the convention circuit and they're really focused on higher value stuff. And that kind of appeals to me because ha- having a, a, a retail store, you have that, um, even though, you know, I have a good team now and I don't have to be here all the time, just there's always that hanging over my head. You have the responsibility and that constant, you know, problems and bills. And that's that's something which might, might be a relief for me to just focus solely on just buying old comics and selling old comics and not having a retail store. I will say right right now, I would be afraid to do that because the one thing that, about the store is you have that steady money coming in and you and you have the visibility to get collections. Part, part of why I get so many collections is because I have the retail stores. And I can also sell a lot of lower price things where are not really conducive um, to selling online. Like, you know, I can't sell like five and three dollars packages online. Well, I could, but it's extremely labor intensive. It's not really cost effective. So I can sell a much wider variety of things because I have a store than they do only at websites and at shows. So I think they do very well. I'm pretty, I don't know their all their numbers, but I'm pretty good at estimating numbers. And I think they do very well, those guys. So it's a business model that appeals to me um, at this point, I'm not going to, um, I, I would be afraid to do that. I, because the, the money wouldn't be steady enough. Right. You know, you know, we've spoken a number of times about market trends and, you know, you've talked about some of the, you know, again, the leaner periods and then, uh, sort of that, that tipping point and things have, have really been strong. I mean, I guess just in terms of, of those market trends, I, I you know, the first time I had you on the show, I, I know I asked you about this. The effect of the adaptations, the movies and the TV shows, I mean, how much of a fire has that lit in the back issue market? I think it's been very substantial. Um, there's two things going on. One is you, you have all these viewers watching the movies, and then they're at the very least they're curious about the comic books. They're not all, all converting to reading comic books because that you know reading comic books is it's not something that appeals to most people for whatever reason but you do it did bring in a bunch of new people that are at the very least trying out comics and then a few of them it sticks right the other thing in which where it really lit a fire under back issues in a big way is there's this whole trend where the first appearances of these characters blow up in, in the aftermarket where you know when they announced that avengers is age of ultron a couple of years ago all of a sudden avengers 55 becomes a 300 dollars comic when it was only a 30 dollars comic and I, I can name a million of them um so i really believe that that's thrown a lot of fuel in the fire i don't know you know what percentage that versus just there's a general trend towards people wanting put uh, a lot of uh, people that have money are putting it into hard assets they want to collect things you know, it, it's funny because the stock market's been in such a tear the past few years. It's been great, but there's so much money flying into uh, other kinds of assets, like uh, you know, whether it's art, comic books, coin, even coins. Which I, from I don't do coins, but from what I understand, the coin market has picked up, and the old baseball card market has picked up. Old, not not the '80s, '90s stuff. So the point is, there's a trend of money flowing into assets. 
which you could attribute to low interest rates or there's just too much money flying around in America. I don't know. Um, and there's the movies and TVs have been huge. Yes. When there's an uptick because of an adaptation, does that last or is it a momentary spike and then it goes back down? Well, my, my rule of thumb is, and again, you know, there, there's always exceptions, right? But my rule of thumb is you sell right before the movie. You sell into it. So, for example, now, again, there's exceptions because I'm pretty sure that Black Panther, uh, you know, Fantastic Four 52, I would have pre- predicted the prices would kind of flatline or dip a little bit now that the movie hits. Like, usually all the price action is leading up to the movie. It's just like in the stock market. Usually you see the stock price, whether there's insider trading, who knows, but you see the price rising up to the good news. Then they announce the good news, and then it, you know, flattens or dips. But there's always exceptions to that. So I there's not just one answer, but in my opinion, the prudent thing is you sell into it. Like, let's say they announce in the next Hulk movie they're going to have uh, one to go, and Hulk 162 triples. I would sell it now. I wouldn't wait for the movie to come out and then sell it. I would sell during all the hype leading up to it. Right. Oh, that makes sense. So we've been recording for a while. The store is open <clears throat> on a Saturday morning. It's already bustling with activity. Uh, I have enjoyed our conversations so much. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with me or with listeners? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I will say I really enjoyed this, and I could do this forever because I just enjoy talking comics. Um, I will say if if they have a comic book collection and they want uh, to get an offer, a fair competitive offer, I'm always buying. And if they have any Golden Age comics... Even if they just have one and it's a good one, let me know because I really have to buy some Golden Age comics. And what's the best way to, to get in contact with you? Uh, the best way to get in touch is you can contact me directly at my cell phone, which is always on, 973-727-6171. Text or call me at my email, ben at zapcomics.com, spelled just like how it sounds. You, you can reach me 24 hours a day. And um, I, I look forward to hearing from you. Giving out your cell phone number. I I put it out everywhere. It, That's it's dedicated, yeah. Well, it's on our our website or store bags. I I, I decided I'm not going to have a personal cell phone number. I I want it. I want to hear about comic books at all times. <laughs> well, you're serious about what you do. You know, I have to say, I've through the podcast and documentary, I've I've been to a lot of stores, and they each have something that you know that makes them unique, and that makes me want to spend time recording with them, filming them. Um, but I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, we're here and we're doing this. Oh, please. I truly, really admire you and what you've built here. Thanks. Uh, it's definitely an example that I always cite when I'm talking to people about a comic book store and about how it can be run well and effectively and efficiently. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, I admire you and your whole staff and everything that you've built here and, you know, thank you so much for being part of this, being part of the podcast and the documentary. Thank you for having me be part of ZapCon. You know, I, I appreciate all of it. And I, I, I'm sure it's listeners have enjoyed uh, getting this insight from you about your collection buying. Well, it, it's really been a lot of fun. I enjoyed it and uh, I, I'm very lucky. I know I've said this before in previous podcasts. I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I mean, you know, so selling comics ain't too bad. So, you know, this miniseries was a first. This was the the only time so far in my podcasting journey where I've had one guest for four episodes in a row. Very cool. Thank you. So this was a lot of fun. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thank you once again to Ben. Our 
comic convention season of My Comic Shop History resumes in two weeks. Uh, so My Comic Shop History Season 4B uh, kicks off very shortly. We're going to be getting back into our convention discussions. I hope you tune in for that. And until then, just keep punching. Buying books with Ben may be over, but more new podcasts await at the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. In addition to the series premiere of My Superfan History, today also marks the release of Part 4 of the After Show with Sco, featuring former Alternate Realities owner Steve Odo. So head on over to Patreon for My Superfan History and the After Show with Sco. Enjoy. Enjoy.